If you have a, if you have a uh, Bible, open it to Psalm 139. Start off by reading verses 23 and 24, and then we will pray asking uh, the Lord to guide us through this time as we read his word and ask for God's surrounding and uh, protection for those who are protecting us. David writes these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I want to ask uh, Tom Robertson. If my my brother-in-law is a builder. He uh, he builds new homes. They they do remodels. They roof houses. They have a number of things that they do under his umbrella of construction. And he has a few homes that are south of Norman. And so he's asked me to go by and kind of troubleshoot and look at these homes from time to time. And Friday was one of those days I needed to see what was being done because, believe it or not, there are folks who worked on those houses the 23rd, the 24th, took off Christmas Day, and were back at it painting and framing on the 26th and the 27th. So Friday evening, I I drove to Blanchard Dibble area to go check on two of these houses. And um, it, I, I've memorized this road that I go so much sometimes that when it's late and it's dark, I'll take a little bit different highway just so I'm, I don't grow lazy while I'm driving. The problem is, is going down a road that you've never really transversed that much, there may be some things that you take for granted or you don't pay attention to. And the thing I wasn't really paying that much attention to were the speed limit signs. Um, so as I was coming up to a stop sign that you, you just turn right, you go on it, and it hedges this little highway head straight back to Chickasha. As I was coming up to that stop sign, a dark SUV turned onto the little bitty side highway that I was on, and he turned on a lot of lights, and it wasn't for a Christmas celebration. <laughs> I was going seven over the speed limit, okay? Let, let me let me just preface that on there. I was also braking, so I was probably going faster than that. I'm not sure, but he just wrote the ticket, Dustin, for going over seven. I haven't had a ticket in over ten years, Okay. <laughs> Um, I'm not a lead foot. In fact, in my family, I'm known as the slowest driver, and I have a child who's not driving yet. And I still drive slower than he does. But on this day, I just wasn't watching my speed. And I got a ticket. And it's still sitting in my truck on, on, on the visor, and I'm like, hey, next time I go to check on one of Joey's houses, I guess I'll go pay it. But here's the thing about it. I, I could have sat there and argued and said, come on, I haven't, a t- haven't had a ticket in all these years. I could have sat there and felt really sorry for myself that, oh man, I got a ticket for going seven over the speed limit when there's a, people probably going way faster than that, than that going by. But the truth is, Gene, I did the crime. I did it. I was breaking a law. I was speeding as mundane or as ordinary or as simple or as little as it may seem. So let's, let me just ask you by just to show of hands, how many of you in this room at least most of the time drive five miles per hour over the speed limit? Joe, don't shake your head right there. Okay, all right, there we go. Okay. And he told me, he said, hey, I, I could have wrote you a ticket for just going five over. Okay, but he, then he informed me that the ticket for going seven over was the same as going ten over because they had a range. And I thought, well, man, I could have been driving three miles per hour over more. I could have been going faster and gotten the same ticket, Gene. But that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. Sometimes we just know when we're in the wrong. 
We just know it. And that's a hard, hard thing sometimes for us to embrace. But there's something that David gets. David and we, we went on a, a mission trip this last summer and the whole theme of the, the Bible studies, the devotions, the programs was about David and how to become a, a person after God's own heart like David is remembered in Acts as a man after God's own heart. And David has his failures. David has his ups and downs. There are people who remember David for the things he did wrong way more than they remember David for the things that he did good. But when God sees David, and again, like I've said before, and those New Testament writers are writing down, and they're being inspired by the Holy Spirit, what they write down is that they don't write David was a murderous adulterer. They write David was a man after God's own heart. David, David understood who God was and what, what God wanted and what God wanted for David. So in Psalm 139, as, as we look at it, it's, it's introspective of, of David where he's at, but at the same time, it's glorifying God. Now, when you, when you look at Psalm 139, it's, it's one of the beauties of scripture. I remember Dr. Jernigan, who uh, was our homiletics professor in Bible college. Dr. Jernigan would just tell us, and he had a group of, 14, 20-year-old boys. So if you imagine that, and and I'll say boys, because at 20 we were still boys. And he's trying to teach us how to shape outlines of Scripture. And he would tell us, he said, all of you can look at this passage, and he'd have a certain passage and say, you'll all give me a different outline. He said, that doesn't mean one of you is right and the rest of you are wrong. He said, it's about perspective and it's about the leading of what God is showing you. And what... What got me as I looked at this passage, when you get to David's dangerous prayer, and it's a dangerous prayer for us to pray, Gene. Because it, it's, we gotta surrender a lot of things to pray that prayer that David does at the end. But man, David is already praying that prayer as he's praising God. You can divide this psalm into, into four distinct sections that point to every single thing that David is about to pray. And so I want to do that just a little bit this morning as as we look into the psalm. It, it, and I want to read it with you. I'm not going to spend much time on, on the verses leading into those last two. But I just want to show you something. First of all, David starts off by saying that there is nothing that God misses. I think, and this is what he says. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind, and before. You lay your hand on me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I can't cannot attain it. So there's nothing that God misses. Notice, notice this is the second thing that David gets to starting in verse seven. It's this. There's nothing that escapes God. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
No matter where David goes, David realizes that is that God is there. He has such a confidence that God is seeing everything. And now God is knowing everything. And he is everywhere David is. And he gets to a third thing right here. This is, this is what he says. He says there's nothing that escapes God. Let's, let's continue to read verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me all, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed before me. When as yet there was none of them. I want to go back and look at that last verse because there's nothing that, nothing that surprises God. There's nothing that he is shocked by. Your eyes saw my own form substance and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when yet there was none of them. We, we do our best. I'm going to get ahead of myself when I'm going to. We, we do our best to hide those things that we are the most ashamed of. And sometimes we think we're hiding them even from God. And God is not telling us to embrace them, but God is just really telling us to admit to them. To come, to come clean with them. To, to face them face to face because He's the same God. He's not wanting to point a finger at us and laugh and condemn and yell and scream like an angry, overbearing parent. He is wanting to wrap us in loving arms and saying, let me help you not to do that again. That was a mistake. Don't. Ethan one day was, well, he was little. I mean, he may have been two or three, was playing with some of my car keys. And he went to stick one in a light socket. And before I could get to him, he got close enough to feel a little bit of a twinge. You know what Ethan has never done since then? He's never stuck a key in a light socket. Joe, it's amazing. He never has. Why? Because he learned not to do it. That's, that's really what God's wanting us to do with our sin. Is to bring it to him and, and admit to it. And move on past it and not waller in it, as my grandfather would say. That's what he's talking, David is saying here, you, there's nothing that is surprising you, God. You, you knew everything I was going to do from the time I was a teenager and anointed by you to all the bad mistakes I made as a king. You know them and you numbered them. You, you're not surprised by them because you are there with me throughout all of them. David continues and he goes here. He says your, his, he, he points out that our purpose is praise and faithfulness. Toward God. And this is what he said. Let me go back up. Sorry, I got lost for a second. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast are the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. Then he continues here, and he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. 
O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them as my enemies. David sees as that he knows his path is different from people who show hatred toward God and what God is doing. So David makes his life or makes this comment about how his life is to be one of praise and acknowledging how precious, how wonderful are God's thoughts because David realizes that God has thoughts for him and that he needs to separate himself in faithfulness. So having said all those things, having having said that he has realized that there's nothing There's nothing that, that God misses. And there's nothing that escapes God. And there's nothing that surprises God. And that his purpose is praise and faithfulness toward God. David prays a dangerous prayer. He says this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Some translations will say even wicked. And lead me in the way everlasting. When considering all this, I, I want to show you why this is a little bit of a dangerous prayer. David, go ahead if you would with the slide. The first thing you've got to understand though that this prayer is at the heart of what God wants to do for us. We we give these bracelets to the kids, um, and if any, any of you adults want one, I have plenty. But they have this these five little symbols on them, the arrow coming down that he came, the cross he died, the empty tomb that he arose, the arrow going up that he ascended in another arrow, our hope that and our prayer and our faith that he is coming back again for us. And that's the very heart of what God wants to do for us. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us, but not to just live among us, but to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin, as First John 2, 2 says. So this prayer is at the very heart of what God is wanting to do for us. And before I go any further, I, I would think in this room, since I know most of you, if not all of you, I think we're in a room full of believers, but I would say this just in case there's one, because you never know. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. He was a sinless, perfect sacrifice. He didn't stay buried in the ground. He rose three days later. Forty days after that, he ascended into heaven and he said, I will be coming back again. That where I am, you will be also. We, uh, we think about that whole idea most of the time when we're at a funeral or memorial service. But it's a thought we should think of every day. He's prepared a place for us. My grandfather Jim is celebrating in that place, hand in hand, I believe, with my grandmother. Both of them together, Jim and Alva. We call them Granny and Pop, but they're seeing face to face what what we hope to see. And then maybe one day the, the time will come back. I, I'm not a person who fears death. But at the same time, I don't want to die. I hope one day I'm alive. I hope, I hope my sons will see Christ coming back for us. Because that's our hope. So understand that this, this prayer is at the heart of what God is wanting to do. It's one of those proofs when, when, when the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. 
Psalm 139, those last two verses, that shows you he's a man after God's own heart because, because David prays this prayer. And I want to show you why it's dangerous. Number one is this. It's a dangerous prayer because you might not like what you see. He, the first phrase is, search me, O God, and know my heart. He's not saying, he's not just saying, God, know my heart because he already has acknowledged that God knows his heart. It's poetical language. David is asking God to reveal to him how God sees him. He's saying, let me have the knowledge of myself that you have, God. And it's normal for us to try to ignore what we see in the mirror. That's what James writes. So we've got to be careful as we hear the word that we don't ignore parts of it and say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm not that kind of person, okay? We, we need to double check ourselves with God's word all the time. That's why it's important to be in God's word, not just when you walk into the doors of this building, but on a daily basis. Surround yourself with it. God's word, it is meant to not push us down, but it's meant to lift and truly lift us up. Just like, I don't have to comb my hair in a mirror, but as I was leaving this morning, I had a few scraggly beard hairs and I already had my sweater on. I was like, oh man, I can't really cut those. And they're, it's bothering me, Gene, because I feel like you can see it from where you're sitting. You probably can't, but I know it's there. Like I can feel when they, when the heat comes on. I can feel it blowing. It's just this long hair. Um, I can't forget that it's there. And you laugh, but you know what? That's what the scripture's saying. When we look into God's word, we're meant to compare ourselves to it. And understand the difference and want to move toward what scripture says and not just stick and be stuck where we're at. So it's a dangerous prayer to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart because you may not like what you begin to see. But there's hope in that. And this is number two. Number two is this. You will start to change. Now, people fear change, but change happens. No matter what, change happens. Every time it rains, my yard changes. Because there's a family, I think it's a tribe of moles living under the ground, and they're scurrying around everywhere. Now, they're not as much in the backyard, and I don't know if it's the dog or if they just hate the pecans that are pelting my yard from my neighbor's tree. I'm not sure yet, but the moles aren't as much back there, but Zane, they're in the front. I mean, it's like walking across quicksand sometimes. It gets so soft because it's just bubbled up and heaped over, and they're making tunnels everywhere. The truth is, as we look at Scripture... And we say, search me, O God. And then we ask God to try me and know my thoughts. After, uh, I didn't know how I was going to start off today. Then after I got pulled over, Sue, I knew. I knew 100%. And I started thinking about, you know, if I try to argue the ticket, guess what they're going to say in a trial? <laughs> you were speeding. Okay, and, and I would have to admit that. If you're just standing before God, what would you be convicted of, good and bad? When you say you will start to change, as Daryl, as we get close to Scripture, we can't help but change. We can't stay the same because there's always something. I, I I grew up as one of those kids that thought, you know, the 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 men in my church and my and my pastor was perfect. And whenever he would talk about, well, you know, I realize I gotta, I've had to change my attitude about this, and we gotta do this. I would be shocked. And then as I got to know him. Not as much as, you know, my pastor, Richie Carl, is still my pastor. But I just got to know him as a colleague. I got to, like, see a little bit more inward. And I'm thinking, man, if Carl Cheshire is still working on things, James Mitchell is going to be working at this for a long, long time. 
And it can only happen through God's power because I can't do it on my own. First John, and, and, and this is the best part about First John, he states it twice in two different ways that if we claim to have no sin, we're making him out to be a liar. And then it says at one point the truth is not in us, and then it says his word is not in us. But you know what's sandwiched in the middle if we but confess our sins? He's faithful and just, which means he does it right and fully every single time. To forgive us our sins and to purify. And that's such a great word. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Because that's what David is really seeking in these two verses. He's not seeking a righteousness where David justifies his own actions. David is seeking what Paul would call in Romans a God-given righteousness. A righteousness that only comes from God. It doesn't come from knowing the word forwards and backwards. It comes from God granting it and giving it and placing it upon us. And that comes from learning the word, but it comes from the leading of the Holy Spirit as well. It's, we can't do it for ourselves. We can't place it in our own lives. It has to be God given. Third thing that it's dangerous is that it does this. It, um, It'll get you to start to focus on your own issues, which is unusual. Because this is what we do. We look at others before we look at ourselves. We're all guilty of it. I mean, we can, we can deny it. But we all play the comparison game in one way or another. I've been counseling with a family member lately. You know what his big problem has been? He's played the comparison game since he was in middle school. Because he's compared himself to other people. And we do that. It's it's part of this sinful human nature to deflect away from ourselves. And instead of being honest with God, we'd rather point out somebody else's problem. Jesus points it out so plainly. It's not like this is a new uh, commercialized uh, postmodern thought that is going on in Scripture. Jesus tells the story of a, of a publican, a tax collector, and a teacher of the law on the steps of the temple. They're sitting there and one is praying essentially how great I art. And the other one is with his face to the ground in the dirt saying, I'm so unworthy. But the one who's saying how great I art in his prayer says, well, at least I'm not like this guy. Even in Jesus' day, they did it. And Jesus pointed it out that that attitude, that's been a prevailing sinful attitude. That is, there's nothing new under the sun. That's why I say, David says, uh, there's nothing that surprises you, God. There's none of our sin that God looks at and says, whoa, can't handle that. Can't handle that. He's not surprised by it. He's broken hearted by it. That's why he sent a son to be that atoning sacrifice for our sin. Matthew, and, and Brad talked about this recently, so I won't go back into it, but in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the speck in your brother's eye with the beam in your own. I'm telling you, I've had a few specks in my eyes in the last year. I know. I, I pulled glass out of my eye one day. Sorry, sorry, Michelle. Um, but I, I, I pulled like a little piece of glass after my auto accident out of my eye. I did. And it, and it kind of, I wish I would have kept it, but it was really tiny and it fell on the ground. Really kind of freaked the lady out at the police station in Marlow when I did it right in front of her. She was like, what? I said, yeah, just a little bit of glass. It's okay. Um, 
But that's how we are. We have these little specks that we know are there. We know. When you get something in your eye, you know it's there. I wear contact lenses, and I can tell you right now, I know they're in. I know. We know when there's something in our eye, and we know when there's a nagging sin that we have not dealt with, and we're just we're just hoping it'll go away. It's not like something that needs neosporin. You can get a cut on your finger and not put like some healing sort of medication on it and eventually it'll go away. It might scar, but it'll go away. Sin isn't like that. Sin festers. And if it's not dealt with, it gets uglier and nastier. And we can pretend like it's not there, but here's the problem with a stinky festering wound. Other people begin to notice. And it hurts our witness. It hurts what we can share with others because it's so obvious as what is on our face. As James writes, when you look in a mirror and you just ignore what's there and go out. No. It's a good thing that we have those mirrors. I should probably use it more often. Don't amen to that one. I was worried Blanche might amen to that one. Um, You were tempted, weren't you? I was helping you in your temptation. Number four. Last one. And here's the best part. Here's the hope we find. You'll find peace and hope. God, God doesn't convict us with his Holy Spirit because he's angry at us. God doesn't convict us or move us to go one direction or to leave behind things that are weighing us down, as the writer of Hebrews says. God does those things because he loves us. And he believes in our potential. He believes in what he can do through us to reach somebody else for Jesus Christ, because this is what I learned Friday. We all have a moment that we can use to reach somebody, Blanche. If we'll just take those moments. And the thing that stands in the way so much of the time is our own sin, which God sent his son to take care of. And we should take full advantage of it. To me, it's, it's sort of like if somebody wants to offer you maybe the, just the greatest gift. And there's no strings attached. And they say, listen, I, I want to, I want to give you this. I want to, I just want to, it's so valuable. It's like if somebody was to walk up to you, Dustin, and say, say, listen, the strings attached. Here's a bar of gold. Bar of gold right now would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be, anybody in here would be a bar of gold. We'd kind of wonder, is it stolen? I mean, why are you giving this? Am I supposed to hide this? Is somebody going to come looking for this bar of gold? But if it was a genuine, just full bar of gold that somebody would give us, we'd be like, I'm not sure what to do with this. But at the same time, imagine the greatest gift. And we just got done with some gift giving in this last last week. Imagine the greatest gift that's handed to us that we completely ignore. And when we ignore the free gift of grace, of the forgiveness and and the repentance from our sin, and the ongoing process of, of again, as I've said it before, the master potter at that wheel who, who our, our, the vessel of our life may be shaped, but there's a, there's probably in some of us a little air gap in there. You know what happens if you stick a, a molded piece of clay into, uh, to be fired with a small air gap in it? You may know what happens? It'll explode. Now nobody may see that little air gap, but it will, it'll explode. Or even if there's a rock in there, it'll cause like a large crack and it might explode in and of itself. But that's how God is, Gene. He's, all the years of you being a believer, he's still shaping you. Still working out those little things. And that's comforting. That's where we find peace and hope. And that's where David is at in this. He's saying, search me, try me. 
See if there be any grievous or wicked way in me. And he gets to that last part because he'd already acknowledged that God sees him. He'd already seen that, already acknowledged that God is with him and, and knows everything going on. And David acknowledges that I'm not you, God. And I understand the difference between wickedness and evil. So he's asked God in those three areas that he writes that beautiful psalm about to help him and then to lead him into true, true righteousness. So this is the big idea. And we'll go home. Let go of what is holding you back. And let God have control, lordship, the lead, whatever you want to call it. It's lordship. But let him have that control, that lead, and that, that lordship of your life through the Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And every time I read that verse, I, I think of like somebody on the starting blocks at a track meet. And they've got chains with a box attached to those chains around their feet, a backpack on their back. Can't run a race like that. So I just want to encourage you today to pray this prayer in the new year. Pray it often. If you want to write it down and stick it on your mirror and remember to pray it every morning, it's, it's a good prayer to pray. But it's dangerous because you won't remain the same. But that's God's intention. That's God's intention. To lead us in the way everlasting. Let's pray. God, I just thank you. I thank you for this because I've been convicted by this. Lord, I thank you for how real and true your scripture is over 2,000 years old and it still speaks to our hearts in ways that we cannot imagine. Jesus, there were things you spoke about and taught your disciples about that we see in daily life today. That's how amazing and beautiful your word is. So Lord, I pray that we'd not ignore your word, that we'd not gloss through sections really fast and pretend that they don't apply to us, God. I, we, we beg you by your Holy Spirit to convict us in areas that we need to be convicted. Encourage us of those things we need to be encouraged and ultimately lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us into true righteousness that we find in you. I thank you, Lord, for your love that you've granted upon us, the grace you show us daily by putting up with us. So help us to shine your light this week and to come back again to celebrate your love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.